Security experts say DMARC and other email authentication measures can mitigate phishing risks. But these efforts won't be effective until there is widespread adoption. This is why more experts say an increasing focus needs to be paid to malware that's driving these attacks. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Gary Warner, Director of Research for Computer Forensics at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, and Greg Kotikia of Malcovery Security. Greg, Malcovery was spun out of the University of Alabama at Birmingham in December 2012. Can you give us a brief overview of Malcovery and what it does? Sure, Tracy. Thank you. And Gary's work at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB, uh, was really renowned in the areas of phishing, spam, and malware. And close to $3 million of research had uh, been put into the technology, uh, much of it patented technology, that helped identify the source and nature of cyber attacks. Very valuable things. In today's world, as you know, we have a perimeter, you know, multiple layers of defense that are really starting to crumble as a variety of new technologies are brought into the office uh, with, between tablets and mobile and just the structure of, of data. As a result of that, we have to be much smarter in our security technology. So Malcovery is based upon all the technology that Gary and his team developed at UAB so that we could actually identify uh, the source and nature of those cyber threats. In today's world, in many cases, you're playing whack-a-mole, just dealing with the symptoms. And we're dedicated to the idea that if you can find the root source, the root cause, you can be much more effective in today's world. Now, Greg and Gary, what would you say is the biggest mistake that the online world is making right now where phishing prevention is concerned? Well, I think there's a few things. And going back to uh, the idea of this eroding perimeter is that people really are trying to rely on old ways of dealing with the problems. The idea that end user education and training or some type of web filtering blacklist or worse yet, still relying on ineffective takedown and mitigation services in which the end user organization, the company, whether it's a financial company, a retail company, a government organization, you know, calls an organization outside their business to help them take down a fish. That is proven to be ineffective over and over again because they're really just dealing with the symptoms and playing whack-a-mole with the problems of fishing. Whereas if you can build the right countermeasures in by identifying the source of nature, you can actually stop or prevent future attacks. Yeah, I think the important thing to realize is that the average attacker is going to keep coming back to attack the same institution until that institution has put in an effective countermeasure. And ignoring the fact that the same criminal has hit you 100 or 200 or even 500 times is just silly. We aren't learning from the attacks that we've experienced in the past. We're treating every attack as if it's the first time this has ever been seen. And that's really what's at the core of our research program and at our products at Malcovery is how do we learn from the past incidents to help build a more effective countermeasure moving forward. Can you talk a little bit about how big data is being used to help address phishing schemes? Well, you know, we sometimes say at the university that what we're dealing with is the intersection of criminal justice and big data. So the idea in our database of phishing sites, we call it our phishing intelligence system or phish IQ, in that database we have 550,000 documented confirmed phishing sites and we've studied those. We have machine learning algorithms that have gone through and figured out what do we know about these past attacks to the point that when a new phishing site comes up, we can say, oh, here's the 
history of all the sites that that attack is related to. Here's some characteristics about that attacker, and here are some indicators, if you're the financial institution, that would help you to tie a particular withdrawal from a particular customer's account to a specific criminal activity or even a specific actor. That ability to tie together the financial loss to the particular phishing site or even to say that this whole string of phishing sites is the same criminal is really a key to how we learn. We do the same thing with malware. It's not that there's a new computer virus and we need a signature for that virus. If you understand the infrastructure of how that new virus performs with relation to the command and control servers and the malware drop sites, where are the points that we could mitigate an entire family or entire generations of the same malware rather than dealing with each incident as if it's the first time we've ever seen it and writing a fresh signature from scratch? There are better ways to address these things, but you have to have the history and the learning that goes with that history in order to address them in a new way. And how does some of that fall into the DMARC initiative? Because doesn't the DMARC initiative also fall back on to having some of that information as well? First, let me say we're big fans of DMARC. We wish them well. We hope that it will be widely adopted. But it's a little bit naive to just say DMARC is the answer to phishing. The problem is that consumers really don't know or care where your email comes from. And the whole premise behind DMARC is that if I sign my outbound email and someone receives an email that's from my domain but hasn't been signed by me, they will know that they should reject it. And the problem is if I send you an email and I say it's from wellsfargosecurity.com, the consumer doesn't know that wellsfargo.com and wellsfargosecurity.com are two different places. And in fact, some of these banks already do business from 150 different domain names. Uh, So it fails. A good friend of ours at LinkedIn calls these cousin domains, the domains that aren't addressed by DMARC. Because if the consumer believes that this may be a valid domain name, and yet there's not a corresponding DMARC record, it's going to be delivered because DMARC only blocks if there's a corresponding DMARC record and the signature doesn't match. If there's no record, the email's delivered. So all I have to do is slightly alter your domain name or put something that to a consumer would be realistic, and the email slides right through. One of the areas that's also been noted by Malcovery is the role that enterprise security intelligence plays in helping to prevent phishing schemes. Greg, what role is enterprise security intelligence playing, and what exactly is enterprise security intelligence? What we're really talking about here is the intersection of big data and defined in terms of terabytes or more collected data, evidentiary data that we can uh, take a look at so that you can apply data mining principles to those evidentiary data sources and provide that combined with unique analytics to be able to get results, to be able to find that needle in the haystack. Now, the second part of that is it's one thing to have the intelligence. It's one thing to be able to use big data and these uh, techniques against that data to be able to find the cause of a particular uh, security threat that show up as phishing, malware, spam, whatever. But it's, it's another set to make it actionable, right? So I think to translate that and say, okay, what can I do about this? Some organizations just want it to stop, right? So there's a lot of organizations that say, give me the countermeasures that I can stop this or prevent this from happening. Other organizations want to work with law enforcement, and they want to put together the information to help go after those criminals. And we can actually, at Malcovery, help in both cases. So we can help them give the network operations and security professionals the information to actually stop or prevent that, 
or for major financial institutions or payment processors or e-tailers, we can actually help them take that next step and actually create the case in law enforcement to go after the bad guys. Now, I think that's a nice segue into my question about the connection between Malcovery and the University of Alabama at Birmingham. What kind of research is your team, Gary, doing at the university into phishing and some of these malware schemes behind them, and, and how is that falling into the role that you play at Malcovery? One of the research areas that we're really trying to address is on the computer science side is how do we look at malware in particular in new ways so that we don't have to rely on signatures or really heuristics. So one of the ideas is basically taking the malware apart and looking for common components that are part of the malware that would help us to indicate that something is a new threat. Not really a signature, but a map, if you will, of how that malware functions internally and being able to recognize similar data structures in new executable files that may come across, whether anyone has an antivirus signature for it or not, you know, we should be able to recognize the structure of the, of the file as a potential threat. We also do research on the criminal justice side. It's almost like the economics of cybercrime. A lot of the things that we have seen published by the analyst community are really based on very poor data sources. If we really want to know the impact of malware, if we really want to know what industries are targeted by malware or phishing attacks, we need to take the log data and do proper analysis of that. And these logs could be, for instance, if there's a phishing site, how many people visited that phishing site? Where did those people visit from? How soon after the beginning of that attack did the phishing site visitors begin to show up and give their credentials? How many people who came into the site actually completed the Fisher's questionnaires and sent their data out? All of that stuff can be easily analyzed by looking at the log files, and yet we almost never do that. And so we end up publishing analyst reports talking about the uh, rate at which money is stolen out of phishing sites, but it's almost done by doing surveys. You know, Cisco did a fantastic study last year of email security. This time it's personal. But there were statements in there about the impact of email-based campaigns, malicious email campaigns. But the source of that data was we asked a bunch of CISOs questions about malware. Well, I would rather go to the raw log data and get truth rather than opinions of, of highly ranked and very intelligent people. But sometimes asking managers survey questions is not the right way to really learn the true impact of malware and phishing attacks. How have you seen some of these phishing schemes and malware attacks evolve over the last 12 to 18 months? And do you see certain industries being targeted more often than others? Well, yeah, clearly there's always the prime targets in the financial sector, in uh, you know, retail online or e-tailing, government organizations. Those tend to be, along with ISPs, the four primary segments of the marketplace that are being attacked. And certainly, APWG, the Anti-Fishing Working Group, recently announced an increase in the attacks and the uh, capability attacks, the sophistication of the attacks. So there hasn't been a lessening of anything. You know, criminals are becoming more sophisticated. This is what's so important about our work and relationship with Gary is this is at the intersection of, you know, criminal justice and network security and putting those two things together to be able to understand 
you know, how a fisher is going to use email to start casing your joint, just the way a, a criminal would look at a physical premise to case your joint. It starts looking at behavior and then actually unleashes uh, a particular fish so it can be uh, more successful. Those are the kind of things that we study so that we can make sure that we can see that early on and help organizations actually prevent that before the damage is done. I would just add, Tracy, that the big trend that we're seeing right now is that attacks are smaller in volume and uh, more targeted. And this is because the adversary knows more about their targets. Where in the past we may have seen spam campaigns with millions of messages being sent out for phishing lures. What we may see today is a campaign that only goes out to 500 people, but all of them are customers of yours. The fact that the criminals often now already know who your customers are what their balances are, what their potential range of balances are, and they can target the high-wealth individuals who bank at Huntington Bank or the high-wealth individuals who bank at Wells Fargo Bank or something like this. That targeting has a couple of problems associated with it. A lot of malware signature writers base their prioritization of what signatures they create on the volume of the malware that's received. And so if there's a very low-volume malware, it doesn't get a high-priority response for writing a new signature. In the same way, the phishing response is often based on public spam traps. If we see the phishing email in a wide distribution, it's going to show up in everyone's spam traps, and we'll be able to begin mitigation. If your targeted customers are the only ones who see the email, you need to rely even more heavily on the intelligence from your consumer base. So when they report, hey, I got this funny email, we need to make sure that the second that hits your inbox, it's processed, evaluated, and determined whether or not it's a fish, whether it's part of a major campaign or if it's a one-off, and begin the mitigation process or the intelligence gathering process immediately. And then before we close, are there any additional thoughts that either one of you would like to share or any perspectives about initiatives for the future? One of the biggest challenges we have as an intelligence provider is corporations saying, I can't use that intelligence because we're so fragmented within our security response organization. So the fraud analyst group is one place, the network defenders are another place, the perimeter defenders are in another place, and yet to fully take advantage of enterprise security intelligence, all of those groups have to be in real-time ability to integrate data from the other groups or from an external party such as ourselves, and then share data back How did that impact us? Was that an effective countermeasure? And right now, unfortunately, uh, the larger the organization, the greater chance there is that there are silos within the security and fraud response area that prevent them from being able to consume intelligence. So I think that's the thing that we need to really focus on. If enterprise security intelligence is the answer, we have to appropriately restructure our security response in the corporations to be able to consume and take advantage of that intelligence much like what we saw in our government uh, organizations about sharing data post 9-11 where there was these uh, large siloed organizations and a lack of cooperations amongst uh, government organizations. Uh, and you see that replicated. It's uh, somewhat human nature and somewhat, you know, w- what happens by security professionals' uh, nature. That ability to share that data and share it in the right way is going to really benefit not only an individual corporation and its efforts to take the intelligence and make it actionable, put in the right countermeasures, and take the right steps. Gary and Greg, I'd like to thank both of you for your time today. 
Thanks for the opportunity, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. We greatly appreciate it. Again, we've just heard from Gary Warner of the University of Alabama at Birmingham and Greg Kotikia of Malcovery. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.